Hewitt. Good to see you. My name's Brian, if you haven't met me before, I'd love to say hello to you uh, and nice to uh, get to know each other if I haven't met you before afterwards. Well, today I want to show you how the story of Easter is a story about ghosting. You might be thinking, what on earth does ghosting have to do with Easter? Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a deep dive on how ghosting works, and then we're going to take that lens and apply it to God, and then we'll see what the Bible has to say about it as well. So first, first line, uh, what the Bible has to say. Oh, let's talk about ghosting. Recruiters who ghost. 
employees also ghost. HR professionals are now reporting that ghosting is disturbingly common among young workers. A survey of Gen Z workers, that's anyone at the moment from working age up to the age of 27, 28, revealed that 17% of them had not turned up for an interview that they had been offered. 15% had not showed up for the first day of work where they had been accepted. 11% uh, had quit their jobs without notice, and 6% had ghosted co-workers. Employers are finding that in today's culture, sometimes people just disappear from communication. Sometimes people just don't show up for work. And of course, that raises a question that impacts work schedules. Others are forced to do extra work at no notice. So what's going on with the rise of ghosting? Well, for one thing, this is the world of online dating. It's easy to just stop messaging someone. It's easy to block people. It's easy, even if you wanted to, to delete a whole social media profile in just a few clicks. Related to that is that it's a world of options. Swipe, swipe, swipe. All of a sudden, I could be seeing two, three, or more people at once. If one doesn't work out, I just drop out. Or perhaps if I, the one that I'm seeing right now doesn't work, I can just start something new without so much as saying goodbye to the first. Some psychologists have speculated that ghosting behavior is reflective of a disorganized attachment style, a kind of inability to form close, trusting, healthy relationships. And this kind of attachment style is particularly characterized by chaotically shifting between modes. One day, you're really anxious about keeping the friendship and the relationship, paying really close attention to it. The next day, you're withdrawn and dismissive. One day, you're safe and trusting in the relationship. The next day, you're fearful and insecure. At work, we want to be left alone to do our thing. But we also want other people to check in on us and to know how we're going. We want to be well cared for and supported. We want people to know the challenges that we face, but we also don't want to have that kind of vulnerability. So we want people to check in with us, but we also don't want people to check in with us. And this inability to really rest in our relationships makes us flighty prone to closing off relationships without real closure, to running away from situations as soon as they make us a bit uncomfortable. You see, ghosting is often the easy option, isn't it? It's easier not to have uncomfortable conversation. It's easier to avoid confrontation. And maybe we want to have that conversation, but to be honest, we don't have the conflict resolution skills. Or maybe we don't really trust that the other person will show empathy toward us. And a lot of the time we just don't have high tolerance for distress in relationships. So we choose avoidance. Or we choose a passive-aggressive mode of communication. Either way, we look quite close. We think, I don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. We think we're choosing a softer approach. But it's softer on us, not on the other person. We know the impact when we are ghosted. We just ignore it when it comes to others. 
Because ghosting is, not, is a way of not having to deal with the other person's reactions. It's a way of staying in control when we feel disempowered. Now, I should say, there are some cases where ghosting is okay. If you are experiencing abuse in a relationship, you do not owe the other person an explanation or a continuing relationship or a second chance before you leave. It may well be appropriate to block and cut off contact in that situation. But I think it's fair to say that for many of our stories, ghosting is a sign of relational immaturity. It's the symptom of us not doing the hard work of relational problem solving and communicating well. It's a sign that we didn't really trust the other person and we didn't have the integrity within ourselves to own the commitment or the relationship. It's a sign of bad faith that we really cared more about ourselves than about the other person in the end. We were happy to ignore the impact that we had on them for the sake of having an easier time ourselves. Chapter 2. Now that we've talked about ghosting more genuinely, we can talk about God. Has God ghosted us? Because many people in our culture have grown up with some kind of faith. Maybe you went to church with your family, you attended a Catholic school or a Christian school. It's not uncommon for people on campus to say, I'm trying to reconnect with my faith. And if that's you, maybe you used to have religion, but now you've broken up with God. Because it just felt like he was never there. He was absent. He didn't care. He didn't do anything. For others, this might be you if you've never had faith. One of the biggest barriers to belief is the seeming inscrutability of God. He's unprovable, which means we think he's undetectable. If God were there, he'd make himself clearer. If God wanted a relationship with us, he wouldn't make it so confusing and ambiguous. If God were there, there wouldn't be so much evil and suffering in the world. Maybe God created the universe in some theoretical world and he sparked the Big Bang, but if he did, then he must have just left the universe to his own devices. We couldn't believe in a God who was personally involved in the affairs of the world. Some of us have actually tried to reach out to God. We'd love to believe in the hope of an afterlife, that there is meaning and purpose in life, that there's someone looking after us, that there are personal consequences for the things that we do in this life. But as much as we've asked God to show us a sign, to give us a voice, it just seems like all we get is radio silence. All our calls go to voicemail. And many of us in the room are believers. We're true believers. We've made public commitments to own Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And yet we also have doubts questions that we find hard to answer. Can we really be sure that God is hearing our prayers? Why doesn't God act sooner to prevent evil things from happening? Why hasn't Jesus come back to make everything right again? So perhaps it's not such a bad question to ask. Has God ghosted us? He made the world. He had a go with humanity. But to be perfectly honest, he's given up. He's moved on and just not with us. And if he has, then perhaps that's just one more mark 
against believing in him. His ghosting us is a sign of his immaturity, his fickleness, his inability to conduct a healthy relationship. He always seemed a bit self-centered, a bit vain, a bit stuck up. And so the argument sometimes goes, it's right and good that we leave that relationship for good. God never had our flourishing in mind, only his own control over us. And the sooner we leave and don't look back, the better. He wasn't that into you anyway. What I mean to say is this. It's understandable if you feel a bit lost about God, or if you feel a bit annoyed at him. There are many people who have this experience of ambiguity and confusion when it comes to God. Chapter 3. Now, are we willing to listen? If we're going to approach this in an intellectually fair and emotionally mature way, we mustn't just seek to be understood, we must seek to understand. And when we're talking about the God of the Bible, it means that we must turn to the Bible to see God's perspective. A good place to start is at the very beginning. The very first page of the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created everything, including human beings. And there's something special about the fact that he made everything good. He made things that were beautiful and functional and wildly diverse. And the pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. And he says that we're to be like him made in his image. Now, theologians have spent a long time unpacking what that phrase, to be made in his image, means. But one thing I really want to focus in on is the fact that we were made for two particular kinds of relationship. To be made in God's image, firstly, is to be made for a relationship with God himself. Even more fundamental than our search for a soulmate or our pursuit of happiness, is the fact that we were made to find God, to pursue Him, to find Him, to have a relationship with Him. The other relationship that we're made for is with each other. We're meant to be a species of love and harmony and unity. And all that is worked out through our diversity and our uniqueness, but our drive to love and to be loved comes from the fact that we were made for it doesn't matter if you never get married. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert. All of us need human connection, and all of us need spiritual connection. And that's what we had in the beginning. We had intimacy with God, and we rejoiced in each other. And you might know that it didn't last. On page three of the Bible, drama. The humans break trust with God. They have a change of heart and their commitment. And they try to ghost God. They hide from each other behind fig leaves. They try to hide from God among the bushes. And they play this passive-aggressive blame game instead of taking responsibility in a hard conversation. They ruin what could have been a great relationship by first choosing conflict avoidance and then choosing hostility instead of choosing real ownership, commitment, vulnerability, and trust. That's the story that's played out in every generation in the Bible. People hear the voice of God in one moment, they've got options the next. God finds them. 
and the worshipping of golden calf. God's people have pledged themselves to their God. God has pledged himself to them. It's wonderful. They've brought into the promised land a land of blessing, of plenty, of abundance. And then they forget about the one they just committed themselves to. They're like someone who got married, to someone who loves them, then they proceed to live like they didn't even know their spouse. Have a look at that, what Psalm 53, verses 2 and 3 say. God looks down from heaven on all men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. We have stopped seeking God. We've stopped relating to God. We've turned away from God. We aren't, we aren't returning his texts. We've ghosted God. And this is what every one of us has done. We think that God should make it easier. In reality, we've shortcutted the process by not trying very hard in the first place to see him. We choose the immature path of avoiding hard questions instead of real engagement. We replace relationship with the other with self-help, self-preservation, self-seeking. When it comes to persevering in relationship, we just give up incredibly quickly with each other and with God. We'd much rather blame the other than understand better. We'd much rather cut them off than build a bridge. What should you do if you get ghosted? Usually the best and only response is to accept that the relationship is over and to move on. But that's not what God has done. God's response to our ghost ghosting of him is to persevere, to keep pursuing, to keep reaching out. When Adam and Eve uh, hid, he sought them out. He had the hard conversation. And look, honestly, if they had had the ability to confess and apologize, really think things could have gone very differently. When God's people grumbled and turned their backs on him, he showed the patience of persisting with them, even when they did exactly what in there. And when people decided to turn to their other options, to man-made idols, he sent prophets to pursue them, to speak to them, to turn their hearts around. God did this even though on one level the loss of relationship with us would be of little consequence to him. He doesn't depend on us. Our thanksgiving to him as creator is appropriate, but it's not like he lacks self-esteem. No, he persevered with us because he knew that we depend on him. And to allow us to be simply left to our own devices would be like letting a toddler loose in the wild and expecting it to, to, to survive. God persevered with us. In fact, God was so determined to restore our relationship with him that he sent his very own son into our world in flesh and blood. Jesus Christ came to show us God himself. In his teaching, he reminded people that our deepest purpose was to love God and to love our Those two great relationships. In his miracles, he showed that he was pursuing forgiveness and restoration. In his friendships, he showed that he was concerned for the outcast, the broken, the lonely, the unlovable. He wasn't concerned with status or influence or wealth. 
He came for people who were confused and grieving, for people who didn't have it all together, for those who are ghosted and for those who ghost. In Jesus, we see the heart of God. He says to his disciples in John 14, in Zedekiah, anyone who has seen me has seen the what we see is not a God who is conflict avoiding, dealing with problems by running away from them. It's not a God who is impatient, growing more and more hostile toward us. It's a God who shows up again and again, who makes himself vulnerable, whose heart is for us, whose love perseveres. We didn't have the maturity to see it. Humanity as a whole is much more fickle and impatient much less understanding and gentle than the God of the Bible. God wanted something to do with us, and what did we do? We cancelled him. Worse than ghosting, we let our selfish and short-sighted pride create fear in us, and that fear created aggression, and that aggression resulted in an angry mob shouting for Jesus' death. God's reward for sending his Son to earth the lynching of Jesus. This is the Easter story. God loved us. We ghosted him. He reached out to us. We cancelled him. Like so many people today, the crowds mocked and jeered. They made a sign of his head that mocked his claims. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. They made fun of his words without attempting to understand them. And those who were the most educated, and those who were the most religious, and those who had no one whatsoever to their neck, all joined together in that activity that enjoys such popular popularity among the same diverse group of people today. Throwing shade, ridiculing, needling, goading, taunting, roasting. And the sharpest bar among the thorns must have been the spike of God's absence. Did you hear it? The Bible reading from Matthew 27. You can see it again on the screen. He trusts in God. That God rescued him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Of all the things that they say at his crucifixion, this is the one that Jesus feels the most. He's hanging there for three hours, and then he cries out to them on the screen, Eli, Eli! Their master Bachman, which means as we are told, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken. He was abandoned. He cried out to God and he was ghosted. He took on himself the thing that we should have received. You see, when we left God for other things, he could have just sent us the text. Send a prophet message, write it down in the Bible so it's there for all perpetuity. This isn't working out. I'm done. I'm really not. Hope you have good luck. Take the Bible. But instead of us getting ghosted, Jesus was ghosted. Instead of us being cut off, Jesus was cut off. Instead of us dying an utterly lonely death, he died a lonely death. That changes everything. It really does. And the best way I can think of how, how to explain this is using the biblical idea of sacrifice. When the Bible talks about sacrifice, 
It's not just about giving up something big or even giving up your life. It's about how you repair your relationship with God. If you did something wrong, what you do is you take a ball or a goat to the altar, you offer it up to God, and then you could be okay with God because that was the gesture of apology. A way of saying sorry, of taking responsibility, of owning the wrong, and seeking to make amends. And the New Testament says that Jesus' death, the way that he died a sinner's death, the way that he gave up all of his dignity, he was doing what we couldn't do for ourselves. He was offering the apology, the amends that we could not offer. He was taking what we could not take responsibility for and owning it so that we could see that God was persevering all the way to the end so that our relationship with him could be repaired. As we come to the conclusion, let me tell you a spiritual reality that most people don't know. And that is that He's not far from any one of us. His intent is for you to reach out and find him, to discover that he was there all along, simply waiting for you to turn toward him. This is the difference between being wanted by God and being enchanted by God. Many in the modern West are wanted by God. We value the things that God values, equality, Unity and diversity, the freedom of speech, the fundamental value of all human beings. We've inherited these values from the tradition of the Bible, from the very idea that we're made in the image of God. We just don't know what to do without God. We're haunted by our personal history with God. We grew up with Him, we prayed to Him, we thought we knew Him, but we're not sure anymore. And all of us feel something of the absence of God because we experience pain and sadness, grief and suffering, loss and loneliness. But there is an alternative. It's possible rather than being haunted by God, thinking that he's ghosted us, instead to be enchanted by God. And in the pain and sadness of life, instead of experiencing God's absence, we experience his presence. And if you've never thought about that before, let me tell you, it is absolutely possible to experience a change that simple and that complete. One person says, everything's going wrong in my life, that must mean that God's not there. But another person says, everything's going wrong in my life, but I know that God is with me through it all. And the difference is in whether you really own the Easter story for yourself. You get to know it, you understand it, you take it in, you will see the world differently. The story of us and God isn't the story of him ghosting us or abandoning us. It's that he pursued us, he persevered with us. It's not that we were mature and, you know, and well-behaved, we were immature. We ghosted God. We failed our most basic relationships. And what we needed most, God has provided for us. He showed us who he is. He's demonstrated his love for us. He's not left us alone. If you know all that, then you'll have hope. Because there's no way that 
that God will do all of that for us and then leave us stranded. If he wanted to, then he would have done that long ago. He certainly would not have had to give up his own son. But the one who trusts God, there is certainty for thinking because it's far easier for God to give us the entire kingdom than for for him to do what he's really done in giving his own son. Entrust yourself to Jesus. You'll have a companion in every moment of confusion and grief, of anger and frustration, of disappointment and sadness. Because nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. He's pursued you all the way. He will preserve you to the end. You might not have to die yet. Let's be not left us alone. You've persevered and pursued us. And your desire is for everyone else to reach out and find that you've always loved us. For those among us who are looking for answers, we pray that they will find their grounding, their joy, and their hope in the story of Easter and in the person of Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's talk. The Evangelical Union, or EU, is a student club on campus at Sydney University that seeks to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. To join us or to find out more, please visit sydneyunieu.org.